0: Strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight, I'm going to tell you a story about the danger of influence. There are many dangers in influence. Or, rather, having a personality with which you can manipulate and guide others' decisions. Tonight, I'm going to tell you the tale of the crucifixion of Margareta Peter. Margareta Peter was born on Christmas Day of 1794 in the town of Wildespuke in the idyllic Swiss parish, Trulicon. She was the youngest of her siblings, having four sisters and a brother. She was raised in a loving home, spoiled, adored by her siblings and her father. Her mother died shortly after her birth. Her brother, named Casper, and her four sisters, Barbara, Susanna, Elizabeth, and Magdalena all grew up together. Casper. like Casper, the friendly ghost. So I'm kind of mentioning their names because it does come up later. That's why I'm giving them names now. They
1: have beautiful
0: names. The family followed the Zwinglian Protestant faith. So you have to understand that right now we're in like the Reformation. Okay. So uh, Zwinglian is one of the first generation of Reformers. So he's, he sets this whole kind of faith up. And it's basically, you know, these reformers are hoping to establish a church that would preserve the best of the traditions of the universal church of the Middle Ages, but at the same time would be free of the worst abuses of the old church and would no longer be governed by the Pope and his corrupt court at Rome during the Reformation. So during the Reformation, it was all about being like, the Catholic Church is really messed up, like, you know, you can pretty much buy any sacrament. And that was something that they were very against during the Reformation. You know, so we have Martin Luther and his 95 Theses. And they're, he's just one of many throughout Europe that are sort of reforming the way that Christianity is delivered to people. And what it means to them. And how they're actually going to live their lives based around it. You know, they're, they're trying to, I think be more pure to the idea of what church is supposed to be like biblically. So this is how she grew up in this faith. So whether it was her Christmas birthday or her family's religious ideals, but something fueled in Margareta a religious zeal. She impressed all those that knew her as a child, even her pastor. She was often considered a prodigy. At school, she was notable for having An aptitude in learning, while in church she was noted to have incredible devotion. This enthusiasm for the Christian faith impressed the local pastor while he was preparing her for her confirmation. Though Margareta was the youngest sibling, she held a place of esteem for the family. All of her siblings and her father deferred to her for their religious issues and any opinion about morality. Her unmarried sisters became something of her disciples. Her father felt that, in his quotes. My youngest daughter was set apart by God for some extraordinary purpose. By the age of six, she would read from the Bible and force the family to gather round her for her sermons. Even when she took her first communion in 1811, she amazed her congregation with her religious fervor and sheer joy. She urged her father and her siblings to live wholly by Christ's teachings. Well, as interpreted by her, you know, a child. Six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's very bossy, very bossy little lady. But her personality was such that she held an almost gravitational pull on her family. She was able to dominate her older siblings. In 1816, Margareta went to live in a nearby town of Rudolphingen, where she was in the position of housekeeper for her maternal uncle, her mother's brother. It was during this time that Margareta began to change. It was here in this city that she came into contact with With the pietist religious community, and she began to attend their services. Pietism was a movement within Lutheranism that combines its emphasis on biblical doctrine with the reformed emphasis on individual piety and living a vigorous Christian life. Soon after Margareta began attending this new church, she became very sullen. This was quite concerning for her family, as this was a huge shift from her normally upbeat personality. When asked what was bothering her so, she responded that God was revealing himself to her, and making her more aware of her own sinfulness. Let's keep in mind, at this point, she is twenty years old. The following year, Margareta returned to her hometown and began to establish herself as a revivalist, preaching the word of God. Upon her return, she also met the three new servants that had been hired by her family, Heinrich Erst, Ursula Kundig, and Margaret Jogli, all of whom became Margareta's devoted disciples. Each had their own reasons for following Margareta. Heinrich was merely blindly loyal to the family. Ursula, who sought Margareta to be her spiritual guide, and Margaret, who suffered from epileptic seizures, and she hoped that Margareta could cure them. Aw, poor thing. As she began to preach, she drew more and more devoted disciples from the area around her hometown. Ursula became her most fervent disciple. In lavishing praise on her new spiritual mentor, Ursula openly said of Margareta that Christ revealed himself in the flesh through her, and that through her many thousands of souls were saved. Almost inevitably, the Peter household was flooded by religious minded people from around the area, all of whom gathered to hear Margareta's sermons. Her loyal local congregation was not enough. Margareta soon, tired of her father's household in 1820, began traveling throughout Switzerland preaching her gospel. She sought to spread her message to the entire nation, and people from all over Switzerland were drawn to her. It was during the course of her wandering that she met a shoemaker named Jacob Morf. Despite being married, Morf seemed mesmerized by Margareta, and she quickly came to feel the same about him. Though it's hard to say whether there was anything physical in their relationship, she and Morf exchanged passionate letters that are still preserved in a Zurich archive, She also announced to him that they would ascend to heaven together and would share one throne for all eternity. Morphe's wife, Regula, was less than thrilled by this strange relationship with her husband. (laughs) (laughs) Though her husband managed to relieve her suspicions, at least for a little while. In 1822, Margareta and her sister Elizabeth went missing. And after two months of searching by the police, the two women reappeared on their own on the 8th of January of 1823. Margaretta was pale and visibly ill. She refused to say where she and her sister had been. Not long afterward, Jacob Morfe turned up at the Peter house, apparently due to a message from Margaretta that the two of them would soon be ascending to heaven. After her return, Margaretta's behavior became more bizarre. She secluded herself in a room with her sister, where the two read the Bible and prayed continuously. She seemed obsessed with earning God's forgiveness for her life of sin. Not that she ever shared with anyone what those sins actually were. When she was not in her room praying, she would often come downstairs to meet with her followers and share her prophecies with them. It was around this time that Margareta also began to speak about the devil and warned her followers that his forces were loose within the world. Margareta believed that she was the only one standing between the devil and the rest of humanity. Whoa. As for Jacob Morph... His work and marriage soon drew him back home.
1: You know, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just thinking of, of, this, of this woman who feels that she is in the middle between the devil and humanity, right? Yeah. This is 1800s, who knows, going on during that time. But uh, the, the pressure that she must feel... Yeah. And, so, and, you know, that she prayed for God to um, forgive her for her sins. And you don't know what those are. But it could be something as adultery. It could be, you know, something or, you know, the love. I mean, the adultery of a married man, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, There's no proof that they it, had any pregnant. sort of physical. Was she, you know, like all, right. that, all those
0: different types of things. Um, yeah, cause she was – she did go missing for a couple of months. Exactly.
1: And then she comes back pale, pale. Yeah. So it's like, did you know, was she that's pregnant and point. had a miscarriage and she came back or something and so she's asking an for abortion. forgiveness. Or abortion. Something. So that that's what – That actually never occurred to me. I think that's a
0: really interesting point, Robin. Like, that never occurred to me that that was where she went. Interesting.
1: That's wow. That's what I thought. And, like, you know, she's asking for that and then she comes back and she's locking herself in her room. And she's praying for forgiveness, and but then but then she's mentioning the devil. And is it because the devil was in her to get an abortion, or was the devil in her right. when she miscarried? Was the devil in her w- with any type of complication? So now she's talking about the devil a lot. And I'm just yeah, thinking, even having the relationship, even having the relationship. And I'm just thinking about this woman, and I just I feel sorry for her because the pressure that she right. thinks. That she is the, the like the person that's going to save humanity and the person yeah. that's going to battle a devil to save everybody. And I'm just like, oh, the, what was going through her mind in, what was it, you said like 1826, 1827, something like that? Yeah, we're, I think we're around 1823 at this point. Yeah,
0: so I think about her and I just think if you are brought up and everyone tells you you're right all the time and everyone believes every word you say. Then your own, you are your own worst enemy.
1: You are your own poltergeist, and we've learned in, exactly. Yeah, you you can you any yeah you can become your own poltergeist. You yeah. affect your surroundings in your life in such a negative way. Your energy is is it becomes a contagious at that point. Right.
0: Because she has her whole life everyone's been like she's so religious, she's so amazing, her religious
1: fervor. Is it that amazing? She is killing herself with like all of these things, you know? It's like it's yeah. not healthy for her at all. It's a very
0: interesting story because you think about this young woman and she's very young at this point. Yeah, she's like 20 or so, right? She's in her 20s. She's fallen in love with the shoemaker. God only knows what has happened, but she's like also traveling the country and preaching and giving sermons and believes these religious ideals so vehemently
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but it seems such a juxtaposition for her to be in love with this married man Mm -hmm. so there is definitely a duality to her that you know i i thought about that but i never thought about the possibility of her being pregnant and having to go away to have the baby and give it up for adoption of, you know, like hiding it until the very last minute and then going away to give it up, up mm-hmm. or having an abortion or whatever, you know, that she went off with her sister to do. That it didn't even occur to me. And that's, and But it is such an astute point point. it makes so much sense for the story. You know, it's a little bit of exposition by us because we don't know that that's true. But We don't
1: know. It's just, you know, you're telling the story. It certainly it, it is. It popped in my head
0: timing wise it it fits you know it certainly does interesting
1: you like you always see like you always hear about the stories on how you know the young woman got pregnant and so like, her parents like sent her away and she exactly. was gone for months and she yeah. comes back and she's like you know and they can tell that she's different and something just changed different and yeah she is you know she's a changed yeah. she's a changed woman at that point point. and you want to know what happened but in this case she left she comes back she's changed but she was different from from the beginning Mhm. So what else happened Nerd. to make her develop this extra stage? Cuz it well, kind of and- sounds like she went from a 6-year-old to like who's doing sermons in front of her in front of her parents her family, like, yeah. like she you know like in our time like we were just singing and dancing putting on shows for our family she's putting yeah. on a so you go from a six-year-old that does that to a 20 something year old that's been got missing for a couple months comes back pale frail thin sickly and now she's locked in her room with her sister praying to god to beg for forgiveness for her sins and is convinced that she's the only thing keeping yeah. the devil so from taking her. What over brought the world. her there? What brought her to right. that crazy stage that now she feels all this angst and anxiety and pressure and the you know gods. It's such an her. excellent
0: point. It's an excellent point. So, you know, we have Margareta, she's back. She's definitely different. She's convinced of this, you know, battle between the devil and humanity. Jacob Morph has now left her. He has gone back to his wife. Bye. Um, so once he left, she spiraled out of control. Her religious delusion grew deeper and stronger as the Easter holidays approached. Yeah. So during one particular outburst, she proclaimed, behold, I see the host of Satan drawing nearer and nearer. He encompasses me. He strives to overcome me. Let me alone that I may fight him. So there are all these people in her house. People are coming and going constantly. Her family is full in. Everyone's all in on her, like, Religious delusion here. They are with her 100%. They truly believe that the devil is coming to take over. So she believed that the devil was coming to claim the souls of all of human existence and that she alone stood in the way. She also named the devil and she claimed that Napoleon's son, the Duke of Reichstadt, would declare himself as the Antichrist and that the final battle would soon commence. So she's not even only talking about this. She named a person. But she's like, that's who it is. It's Napoleon's son. He's going to come and we're going to have battle. It was at this time that she ordered the house to be closed to all but her disciples. No sinner was allowed to cross the threshold. That included the local pastor who tried to express his concern about what was happening. And given the control Margareta had over the entire household... That's exactly what they did. They locked themselves inside. So this is essentially a madhouse at this time. A house full of religious zealots awaiting Armageddon. So let's say, conservatively, the tensions were heightened. You know, they're a little, everybody's a little little tense. Mm -hmm. And one evening, Margaret Jogley reacted to hearing a loud pop from the fireplace and went into convulsions, screaming that the devil had come for her she pleaded with Margaret and the others to pray and save her soul. This led margaretta to scream out, Depart, thou murderer of souls, accursed one, to hellfire. Wilt thou try to rob me of my sheep that was lost, my sheep whom I have pledged myself to save? That being this young woman who has epilepsy. Though Margaret soon recovered, she continued to have seizures and the rest of the household began having religious visions themselves. Margaret wrote to Jacob Morfe to come to her aid, and on March 8, 1823, he finally arrived along with two other believers. And it was there, in the Peter home, in March 1823, that Margareta and her followers gathered to do battle with the devil himself. Margareta declared that she was having a vision of Napoleon's spirit marching against her with an army. Upon this proclamation, she began beating the furniture and walls in her room, and ordered her followers to take up any weapon that they could find to fight this army. Margaret's followers obeyed, and for three hours they attacked furniture, walls, and the floor of her room. Even as this was happening, a large crowd had gathered outside the Peter house, likely drawn there by the noise. So great was the hammering going on inside, that part of the wall of the house fell away. Huh. This allowed them to see Margareta and her followers carrying out their destruction. As for Saint Margaretta herself, she saw the watching crowd and denounced them as the enemies of God. Once the room was completely destroyed, Margareta led her exhausted followers downstairs to recover in a relatively intact sitting room, but for only an hour or so, which was when she ordered her worshippers to beat themselves. And they did. Shut up. (laughs) The only exception was Margarita's sister Elizabeth, who asked her sister to beat her instead. As before, when anyone began to tire, she ordered them to strike harder. Even her father wasn't exempted. And after his enthusiasm flagged, his saintly daughter began pummeling him herself. So, with this kind of uproar, eventually the local authorities arrived. The police were alerted by the commotion caused, and they came to investigate. Margareta went into hysterics at seeing the police invading her sacred space. The men and women were detained in separate rooms of the house, and some of the followers were dispatched home. In the meantime, Margareta continued to rouse the religious fervor of the women that that she was with, and prepared them for her final battle with the Antichrist. Margareta assembled the remaining family members and the women in the upper room of the house, where the tools used to destroy the room still lay upon the floor. And it was there that Margareta began preaching the need for a final battle to defeat the Antichrist. When her brother Casper came into the house at the request of the police, Margareta attacked him with one of her tools. Finally, intervening, her father stopped her and then carried his injured son downstairs. You always knew. That it wasn't going to go well for
1: him. He was named after a ghost. I know. Or was it ghost named after I him? I know. Either what, way. What came first?
0: Margaretta asked if any of her followers were prepared to die for salvation. Her sister, Elizabeth, declared that she was willing to do so and started beating herself. Margaretta, however, took a hammer and hit her sister's head. An example that was followed by the rest of the people in the room. And as a result... Elizabeth was bludgeoned to death. Afterward, Margareta told the others, "'More blood must flow. I have pledged myself for the saving of many souls. I must die now. You must crucify me.' She promised that she would rise from the dead three days later. Even with Elizabeth's dead body at their feet, the followers were reluctant to follow Margareta's orders, insisting that, "'It is better that I should die Than that thousands of souls should perish. And Margareta began to strike herself in the head with a hammer and then ordered the others to gather wood and nails. Her follower Heinrich promptly fled the scene. The others proceeded to nail Margareta's hands and feet to blocks of wood and then mounted her on the wall. On the wall? Margareta seemed completely immune to the pain. Even as she was being crucified, she insisted that she would raise herself and Elizabeth from the grave three days later. Only after ordering them to beat in her skull did she finally die. And it was those blows to the skull that did finally kill her. Three days passed, and guess what? Margareta did not rise from the dead, much to the disappointment of her followers. Another day or two passed before Margareta's father went into the town to tell the pastor about Margareta and Elizabeth's deaths. Caught up in the bizarre religious delusion that had led them to commit murder, the remaining followers then quietly went downstairs to dinner. A policeman came by and had Margaret's father sign a writ guaranteeing that they all appear before the magistrate. Nobody mentioned that Margareta and Elizabeth were dead upstairs and the policeman promptly
1: left They're just they're just eating fucking dinner downstairs with the two two dead, dead, dead bodies upstairs. upstairs one crucified to a fucking wall to the wall. <laughs>
0: And they're having some chicken. The cops come and they're chilling. They're chilling. Breaking bread, having some wine. (laughs) So, like I said, three days later, with nobody outside the house being aware of what had happened, Ursula and Heinrich went upstairs to remove the nails from Margareta's body. If they were hoping that this would hasten her resurrection, they were disappointed. On the 3rd of December, 1823, those responsible for the deaths of Margareta and Elizabeth were put on trial and given prison sentences. Ursula Kundig received the longest sentence of 16 years, while the others received sentences ranging from 8 years to only a few months. John Peter, father to both of the women, was sentenced to 8 years in prison. Perhaps as a way of keeping the Peter house from becoming a pilgrimage site, the judge also ordered that it should be leveled to the ground and that no house would ever be built on the site again. While some pietists did manage to visit the house before its destruction, the story of Margareta's crucifixion quickly faded into local legend. While what happened in Will Dispute is certainly not the worst or most bizarre episode of religious mania in history, it does show what people are capable of, especially when persuasion, religion, and mob mentality work together. But in the end, it seems right that those who committed the crimes were punished, because in the end, we are each responsible for our own actions. That day, those people made the choice to believe her, and to act violently upon those beliefs. That is the story of Margareta Peters, the preacher who was crucified by her flock. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.